Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Robert Land, along with my co-host, Sports Radio 610's Sean Bajani. And if you're new to the party, 45 years in journalism between the two of us, 35 years covering Houston sports. You guys are in great hands. And Sean, you can't say the Texans aren't consistent. You can set your clock each week for the fourth quarter fold. It's always there for you. It's not even a fourth quarter fold. I'm I'm really kind of tired of hearing the word finish uh, on the weekly and on the broadcast in particular because the Texans aren't even doing the things to put themselves in position to finish. Like when you talk about finishing games, it's talk you're talking about like you know continuing to play good solid defense in the game's waning moments or being able to sustain a drive in the game's waning moments. Like. The Texans need too many things to go correctly way before that. You know, like the, the word finish, I know we're going to hear it again, and I'm, I'm going to want to just like scoop Lovey's eyeballs out, or at least my own uh, <laughs> on Monday. But, you know, it is what it is. Oh, my goodness. Now, there's a lot I want to talk about in the fourth quarter, but we got a lot to talk about in the rest of the game. We're going to go through possession by possession, but we, we want to hear from you. You're out there. Give us a comment, a question. We're going to react as this thing moves along. Uh, we do it every Sunday, the Texans post game, or whenever the Texans play. Um, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube as well. That's a great way to support the show. And let's start off with the Texans' first possession, Sean. And after the great touchdown drive last week, they got back to their usual three and out on third and 12. The Giants blitzed. Mills had man coverage everywhere, didn't read it. Quickly enough, I also noticed not one of his receivers seemed to read it. Nobody was looking back for the football when they had about seven guys that were right next to the line of scrimmage and looking like they were ready to charge Davis Mills at that point. Yeah, you know, we asked uh, coaches, players numerous times this week about, like, the Giants' pressure, and it's almost like on that possession, you know, to come out of the game like that, they just anticipated having all the time in the world Never mind the Giants, you know, blitzing more than any team has in the last two years and the fourth most of any team in the NFL the last seven years at a 43% clip. It looked like they thought they were going to have all the time in the world today, especially on that possession. Giants' first possession, they walk it down the field. The touchdown pass to Cager. He takes advantage of a Texans defense that looked unprepared for a quick snap. And, Sean, this goes back to my frustration with the Texans offense, they never rush up to the line and snap the ball quickly or change their pace at all. Not only is that terrible for your offense, but if you don't practice it, which it appears as though the Texans don't practice it by the way they play, how are the Texans defense ever supposed to be prepared for something like this on game day? It's a good point. Um, you know, I think uh, that probably has more to do with, um, you know, handling your offense with kid gloves if you're Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith, because if they felt like they could do it, they would do it. And I just don't think they trust guys, um, you know, mentally uh, enough to be able to do that. So your defense is probably going to suffer. I mean, the only experience you're going to get out of that is, you know, against the scout team or on a weekend and week out basis when you're actually on the field against your opponent. It's something that does hurt because tempo in this game, um, it is a, it's always been a thinking man's game, you know, but it is a fast, uh, game 
this day and age. And if you're not doing the things to kind of stay up to date, stay with the flow, then you're doing it wrong. You're you're playing, you're playing, you're coaching, you're preparing for losing football. Yeah, this goes back to Bill O'Brien era football. And this goes back to Gary Kubiak, where the Texans never rush on offense and change their tempo at all. And it's amazing, Sean, because we brought everything over from the Patriots except that, because that's one of the things that Tom Brady, back when he was there, would do all the time. And just it would kill the Texans at the goal line because the Texans weren't prepared. Guys were out of position. Um, I'm going to get back to the tempo thing, but I mean, I, I know you agree with me. I'm going to move on t- to the Texans' next possession because it's a three and out. But on third and five, Mills throws to Nico who was back this week, and it was good to see him. I, I thought that was pass interference, Sean. The corner, Moreau grabbed Nico with the pass in the air. I, I, the, the ref's looking right at it. I don't know what the deal was with that. I, I, I agree with you. I made a note here. You know, Collins very well could have and should have drawn that flag for a pass interference. Moreau was on coverage on that. However, it was a crap ball to begin with. You know, uh, I just didn't think it was a well-placed football. Um, and, you know, you can't play to the flag just like in baseball. You can't pitch to the umpire. Um, you know, I use that analogy quite a bit. It, it was the more and more I think about it and replay that particular play in my mind, it was much more egregious now than I did believe at the time when it actually had happened. I guess I was just kind of equally as disgusted with the attempted pass by Mills as I was the no flag by the referee in that instance. I thought it was a catchable pass, though, if Nico has a shot at it and Nico needs to act a little bit there. Sometimes you got to do a little thespian stuff, but the Texans D gets a three and out after that. Cashman with a nice play on third down, tackling Daniel Jones in the open field. The Texans offense, their third straight three and out, and on third and long, you knew they, they'd give Mills that safe screen pass, not likely to go anywhere, which ended up going to Philip Dorsett. They're like clockwork. It, it's just, I don't know. But anyway, the Giants drive the ball inside Texans territory. But on fourth and one, the Giants false start. So the Texans get a good break there. And finally, the Texans offense gets it going, Sean. Thanks to Damian Pierce, of course. But the Texans get a field goal. Once again, though, I am not happy with Pep's play calling. Pierce breaks off that huge run to the 19. The Giants' defense is now tired. And this is what I'm talking about, which is being able to do things with, you know, a little heads up. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend like Davis Mills, this is his third game anymore. This is something that Davis Mills and Pep Hamilton both have been around the NFL long enough to know, hey, the defense is tired. So what do you call there? You call he calls a swing pass to Cooks, which is pretty much exactly what you want if you're the Giants defense because your defense is tired and quick screens, pretty easy to defend in a short field. Yeah, and I can't say that I was surprised by the play call there just because I noticed the Texans working that uh, same pass uh, with Cooks um, a couple of times this week uh, that we were allowed to uh, you know, watch practice. And, you know, you kind of anticipated that just given the fact that, okay, the Texans know the Giants are going to blitz a lot, whether it be obvious passing situations or not. The Giants, why they've been so successful in getting to the quarterback and creating, um, you know, careless throws and, you know, have caught offenses off guard is because they will bring an extra man 
um, even in non-obvious uh, passing situations. But, you know, that play call there, like, yeah, that, that does bother me, you know, after the fact in hindsight. But when you start a drive with three consecutive Pierce runs and you break a 42, 40-yard or whatever it was, um, and you get that juice, like, they played Dario Gumbawale a couple of times today. It looked like to spell Pierce, like, okay, like he's tired after that 40-yard run, like give him a little refresher, get Dari in there, and continue to pound the freaking rock. Like your defense is tired, sure, make them more tired. You know, get them banged up, bruised up, just like an old boxing match. You know, you're not going to go headshot all the time. Now you're going to bang their bodies up. You know, you're going to get them wheezing and gasping for air, and you're going to go sideline to sideline. And I, I, I fought the Texans in that particular instance. And this is where I really questioned Pep Hamilton as a play caller, is that he doesn't think like that. You know, he's just thinking for the next, you know, home run or big play that your quarterback hasn't shown the ability to make or your receivers haven't shown the ability to get in open space and complement your 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 route tree or your scheme. No, it's like when you smell blood, you have to freaking go after them and make a defense work. And I just didn't I it was to me the offensive play calling today really hit a boiling point. I was very very frustrated in that drive in particular. And Pep just doesn't have these guys. This is a preparation thing because what should be in your playbook for your team is like, hey, if we break something off big and it goes 40 yards down the field, this is what we're going to run next. And you could say run the ball there, but that whole secondary is chasing Damian Pierce. You have four or five guys all chasing Damian Pierce for 30 or 40 yards down the field. They're gassed. So, you know, I want to go for the jugular on those type of plays. I want to go into the end zone. Um, the defensive line's gas, the Texans offensive line, not exactly one of the best in the NFL. I don't think they're bad, but at that point, a gas defensive line's not going to get to Davis Mills, I don't think, and a gas secondary might not be ready for a pass into the end zone from the 19-yard line. So, you know, to me, this is just about, hey, we have to have something on our play sheet ready to go, and I got to tell the team, if this happens, this is what's going to happen. It doesn't have to be Damon Pierce long run. It could be a long throw or whatever. But, you know, go for the jugular. Act like you're trying to kill somebody. That can work, but you also have to have a faster tempo offense to get up the field. After your running back runs a 40-yard uh, gain, you move the chains. you got to be able to get up to the line, you know, before the defense is able to make those substitutions. And then that's when you're able to catch defense off guard not just jogging up and taking your sweet time and figure out what the hell you're going to do. It, it makes your point. Well, I mean, it's the whole, it's, 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 it's it, all of it connects. That's why I bring all of it up. I'm just, I'm tired of talking about this because this is what every team in the NFL does. Apparently except the Texans, everybody does this. And again, Davis Mills is not a rookie anymore. I get it. He's still a young quarterback. Pep Hamilton has been around the NFL for a long time. These guys are not new to what's going on. And this is the two of them. I'm not worried about everybody else on that field. This is about Pep preparing them for it and Davis Mills being able to handle something like that. And, and this should be a no-brainer. This, this happens in college, Sean, all the time. It happens in high school. I've covered high school football in the Houston area, and I've covered high school football, period, for 30 years, 20 years in the Houston area. If they can do this, you can do this. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to disagree with you at all. I just think it is a uh, the most glaring thing here is, is we're expecting individuals to have guys prepared in which those individuals may not necessarily be the best fit in those roles. Pep Hamilton, particularly, you know, I'd said before this season that, you know what, Davis Mills, he's been a quarterback his entire life. You, you were a good one in high school. You were a pretty good one in college. It's okay to not be a good starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, yeah, this is the role that he's in. This is the situation that he has uh, been presented with and is, you know, seemingly grabbed it by the horns and is doing the best he possibly can. But you know what? It just might not be for you. Well, play calling just might not be for Pep Hamilton. It's okay to just be a position coach. It's okay to just be a defensive coordinator in which maybe the game has passed you by if you're Lovey Smith, never mind a head coach anymore. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the case because I do believe that from a character standpoint, an attitude standpoint, like he is the right guy to have taken this team from where they'd been, which is absolute hell in a handbasket um, last year with David Cully. But, you know, it's hard for me to get upset or become frustrated uh, at this point in time based on what exactly I'm seeing on the field. It's just you want to see the things that should be coming together behind closed doors in the meeting rooms, in the classrooms. You should see growth in your young players and you have to be able to put them in the right scheme, the right position to be successful. And I don't think it's coming really from either side of the ball with any relative consistency, unfortunately. And it should be. It's freaking November. Yeah, and, and there's more with Pep Hamilton later in this game because it's not over. And, and this is some of the same issues. But next Giants possession, Texans get a big sack on third and 15 near midfield. So despite some longer drives, They'd only given up seven points at this point. Texans next possession, third and five. Davis Mills trips Damian Pierce in the backfield. So it's not just that Davis Mills can't start his own passing game. He is now tripping and purposely making Damian Pierce. No, I'm just kidding about that. But you know what I mean? It's just like, come on, man. And then on the next play, it's a worthless handoff to Burkhead. Can't believe we're still doing this crap over halfway through the season. Didn't get it. Don't get it. Never will get it. Yeah, I mean, that kind of sums it up. I mean, that's been the Texans' M.O., you know, all season long. If they're not shooting themselves in the foot, um, you know, with some simple stuff on the field, like just getting guys tripped up or even, you know, Pierce at one point uh, in time today, you know, forced the Texans into a delay of game situation by lining up on the wrong side. And that kind of comes down to preparation, too, because prior to that, they had all the time in the world. Um, to get set and get to the line. But it's those little things. I mean, if they're not shooting themselves in the foot individually with simple fundamental mistakes, then um, they're getting out-coached, you know, or out-athleted, quite frankly, by opposing defense. You speak about uh, shooting yourselves in the foot. <laughs> Texans D, make a stop with less than two minutes. Leaving Davis Mills a real chance at a meaningful two-minute drive, but on third and four, near midfield. Laramie Tunstall jumps. Kenyon Green holds. Quesenberry makes a terrible snap. This is in two plays. In two plays. The Texans O-line, a complete meltdown, Sean. Yeah, it was. Uh, you mentioned a couple of those. I actually missed one in my notes. You know, I saw Mills fumbled snap on a third and nine, sacked after a brief scramble attempt, and uh, Green held on that play, too. 
forced into another punt opportunity. You know, I know you like to go through these possession by possession, and it is important, but I was going to tell you before, it's like we can almost fast forward like through the entire first half with maybe the exception of like one drive because everything was a freaking three and out, you know, or just absolute, just comical display of offensive or lack thereof football by the Houston Texans. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was like a microcosm of what exactly this season has been about. And there was a couple of them today with the Houston Texans offensively. Yeah. And the thing that is really frustrating is Quesenberry is overmatched at center. And it's one thing to be overmatched at center. And he got just trucked numerous times this game. He's gotten trucked. Numerous times in the last few weeks, he's out of his league as a starting center in the NFL. Unfortunately, the Texans were not prepared for a Justin Britt injury. Um, the offensive line, you've got to make them better. However, as bad as Quesenberry is at blocking, can you at least make a snap in the clutch? Can you at least snap it to your quarterback at the right spot? I mean, I, I don't mean to mean to Quesenberry, but man, just do a basic thing right. And that's, you know, I can't, how am I going to blame Lovey or Casario or whatever? Yeah, he could give you a better center there. But Justin Britt going out after game one is not what any team would be prepared for. And, you know, we always make centers, it's like a second trip position. But, I mean, just go back to the Texans um, when they're, they were really having their success on the offensive line and going to the playoffs. Seth Myers was a huge part of that. And it looks like in the offseason, your priorities are going to be obviously quarterback and the defensive front seven. And I don't care in the first four rounds if they draft that all of that. That's they stick to just drafting those positions in the first four rounds of this draft where they've got whatever it is, six picks or something like that. However, you got Seth Myers with a six-round pick, Sean. If you remember, you can get a center in this NFL, yeah. you know, maybe that's somebody on somebody's back of somebody's roster oh, or think, you can yeah. in the back of the draft too. Yeah. You talk about Chris Myers. I, I think, I mean, uh, Chris Myers. Yeah. Yeah. Seth Myers, a uh, great late, late night uh, talk show guy. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. Chris Myers probably, you know, sometimes just as funny as Seth actually was, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, yeah, the Texans, they've got the draft capital and they'll have the cash to, you know, I think meet, quite a few of their needs this offseason, um, draft in particular. And, um, yeah, they're going to have to hit on a lot of those, certainly, and they're going to miss on some. You just hope you hit on more of your, you know, top day two picks, day one and two picks uh, than you miss. So, I mean, based on just this last year alone, because the draft two seasons ago, it looks like absolute crap uh, for Casario, but the 2022 draft looks very promising. Uh, for the foreseeable future. So I think if you're just going off of that and that alone, uh, you should feel pretty optimistic by, you know, the needs that Nick Casario and the Houston Texans can meet this offseason. I will say this, you know, in regards to Justin Britt starting the season, playing that one game in which he didn't look particularly good, um, even as a replacement level center in some instance, I, I don't really understand the criticism that he's continuing to get by you know, people in this town um, for a guy who has not played football over the course of the last eight, nine weeks. And we really are completely in the dark and it is unclear what kind of um, 
you know, situation that he's dealing with, whether it be personal, whether it be family, whatever the case may be, I just have to believe that, you know, he would be much more prepared and be, you know, a guy that would solidify this offensive line that much more than that of a Scott Questenberry or a Morrissey, who is Questenberry's backup. And obviously, if he was uh, remotely as good as Questenberry, we would have seen him by now. I will say this. I'll give Questenberry a lot of props because from the mental side of things, the guy has prepared his butt off each and every week. Um, Lineman, I mean, the entire offense, uh, you know, talks very highly of him and stepping up into this role and being prepared. However, against the Giants team, that that you may know going in, if you're being real with yourself, you're going to be out athleted a little bit, you're undermatched. That's what is going to happen. You're going to see some holding calls. You're going to see some false starts. You're going to see some bad snaps where a guy looks like he may have the yips because he's trying just to get that extra millisecond, you know, of leverage back. If a guy's lined up, not in a zero, but a, a one or a two eye, and you know what you have to do or who you have to reach, and so I fully anticipated to see these sort of things. And you just hope that the Texans, you know, were able to overcome just the self-inflicted mistakes more times than not. And to be quite honest with you, Robert, I thought the Giants gave them every opportunity to do so. Just that interception uh, from Mills, and I know we'll get to it, that was really the dagger. I mean, that killed them. You had multiple red zone opportunities. You settled for field goals. You couldn't make the throw that you know, a, a a quarterback, I would even say on a slightly above average scale in the NFL would make, and even those throws that they shouldn't make. And that interception to Dorsett and the double coverage, you know, after heavy pressure was certainly one that he shouldn't have made. Yeah. And Lawrence, let's tell people out there that this is one of the better nose guards in the NFL, and he was killing everybody that he went up against, but it was mostly Quesenberry, and we expect, I mean, I expected it, but he also got Kenyon Green, he trucked Kenyon Green too, um, and Kenyon Green had his issues uh, late in this game that we're going to get to, but Davis Mills throws for 35 yards at the half and six possessions, if my math was right, and no passing attempts over 20 yards down the field. Kind of hard for Pierce to have any room to run, I mean, just it's amazing that Pierce does what he does, considering uh, how little they throw the ball down the field, if at all. Uh, we didn't see, yeah. Sean, either the the rollouts that we saw and trying to get Davis Mills out of the pocket where we saw him have all those success against the Eagles. I saw it maybe twice in the entire first half. And I just thought, again, w- where was Pep? Like it was working last week and, 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 and there was some set success by Davis Mills. And granted, he's not the future. I'm not telling you. You know, Davis Mills is ready to make the next step, but, you know, do what your guy does well. And and the Texans don't always seem to get that when no. they set up stuff. That's a really good point, though, by you, because, you know, against the team that does, um, you know, blitz pretty much 50% of the time, you know, that you're going to pass the football, um, why wouldn't you get Mills out on the run? And particularly, you know, to be quite honest with you, it, it kind of doesn't matter if it's been to his right or left here recently because he's looked pretty good on the run, throwing the football to either direction. He's had some success, and I think that's probably an area that we have to give him credit for um, that he's improved upon. Now, I would like to see the numbers on that. 
Um, the completion percentage and the attempts certainly are important going to the right versus going to the left. But nevertheless, I think you make a good point against a team that's going to blitz a lot. Why wouldn't you try to get him out into some space and, you know, flood maybe the wide side of the field, give him, you know, some short intermediate routes um, to kind of go through progressions there. And if it's not there, you know, pull it and run, avoid a sack, you know, dump it off something Add that element into your offense as well. And just it goes back to what I've been saying all season long, too, Robert. Make the defense think just a little bit for a millisecond that this guy is actually a threat with his legs, which early he would be if he was put in a position to. Early in the game, there was a play where it was a design rollout. And you saw what happened was OJ Howard blocked this guy for a second, let him loose. And maybe not have been a long enough second, but he let his guy loose because he knew he was going into the pattern. And Davis Mills just missed him. He was open. He had gotten open in the flat. The play worked, except for Davis Mills got a little hur- hurried. It was a tougher throw because now the guy's burying down on him. It's just stuff like that where Davis Mills, if you give him enough of those opportunities, I think he's got a better shot at something like that. But let's get to the second half because first drive, third and long, the Texans do everything right. Everything right. Nearly sacked Daniel Jones, but Jalen Petrie not only misses an open field tackle, he whiffs on Slayton, and a five-yard pass turns into a 54-yard touchdown. Petrie's tackling is a disaster. I'm going to start calling him Jalen Swearinger at this point. (laughs) That's pretty bad. You know, Swearinger at least was a freaking headhunter, man. You know, he was like overly aggressive. You know, he just wanted to put your, you know, what in the dirt, you know, well, same, same as Petrie. Petrie's the same. That's I would call yeah. that's that's his style. Yeah. You know, Petrie's Petrie's aggressive. You know, I, I wouldn't put him on the Swearinger level yet. But as far as like having issues with missed tackles. Yeah. I mean, that that was as bad by far because Petrie's in large part. Yeah. He's, you know, leading uh, the league in missed tackles and that whole bit. But he's been pretty damn good. You know, um, he's probably had way many more opportunities to miss tackles than a lot of other guys, too. So I'd like to see, like, how many tackles he's actually made versus some other safeties in the game, which I know he's actually up there towards the league lead. Um, But, yeah, that was as bad as we've seen him look on a field um, this season. And it was just unfortunate because um, all he had to do was break down, stick a helmet right in the chest, and at least just usher Slayton out of bounds. That didn't happen. And, yeah, it, it goes well, for a big play. And it's but, those, it's those but, kind of plays but, that you can't whiff on. But he needs to know that was a play. The guy was five yards short of a first down. You, all you have to do there is stay in front of him, yeah. wait for your defensive guys to come there. That's just, you know, that's basically understanding some football. And Levy took him out for a little bit in the next drive, but then put him right back in the game. But, you know, Petrie, it's not just the fact that he's got to play smarter, but, you know, wrap up, he's got to get fit. It's all of that stuff. And then the the Texans, you know, they respond uh, surprisingly with the seven play 75 yard drive mills, four for four, 61 yards. Nice touchdown pass to Nico. Had a little luck on that drive too, you know, with the deflected pass that, you know, more ended up with, you know, before the touchdown. Um, and that's just kind of, it's been the, you know, that type of season, you know, when, when you've got this level of talent that you have to work with, you're going to need a little luck, um, and some things to go your way. And the Texans did Mills put together, you know, some good little stretches of, uh, of drives today, unfortunately, you know, for, 
for a guy like him, I, I think, you know, maybe you get a little frustrated, you get a little antsy in certain situations and you try to do too much. But yes, that was a really nice drive. And I thought, I probably said this three times this year, the best pass that I've seen Davis Mills make. I mean, that showed, you know, uh, patience, that showed touch, that showed uh, a little chemistry that we talked about starting to develop before Nico went out with the groin injury a couple of weeks ago that we'd seen between uh, Mills and Collins, um, who had started to get more targets and more catches, um, you know, uh, a couple of weeks prior to that groin injury. So I thought that was a really good drive and a really, really good throw. The best throw that I'd seen Davis Mills make all season long. Giants come back 12 play 74 yard drive Texans defense tiring in the second half. I can't blame them. This is kind of happens every week. Next Texans possession, big pass to Jordan Akins. Maybe he scores. If OJ Howard turns around and blocks the defender who uh, brought down Akins, but then Sean, Damian Pierce fumbles inside the tent. We, we haven't seen the fumble issue since the Bears games, though, and 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 that was not one of those situations where he's carrying the ball loosely. He just gets two or three guys jump on him at the same time. So I, it's hard for me to get mad. Yeah, that that look. Let me go back real quick. Sometimes you can hang on these things too much, maybe put too much into it. But that OJ Howard would have been or should have been, you know, a, a, a block there to allow Akins to go ahead and score that touchdown. OJ Howard's a good tight end. Okay. Um, I mean, that's that's proven over the last three, four years of his career in the NFL. But that's also the difference of being a pretty good tight end and being a really good tight end or just a player in the NFL. Like, I guarantee you, if you were to ask him or a conversation at the very least in the locker room that he's probably having right now is, man, I just didn't want to get a flag there, you know, for a block in the back. You know, he didn't want to slow himself down, take a bad angle and uh, deter a already great play and bring that back. All he had to do there, though, was get between him and Jordan Akins. That's right. But you I'm just telling you, you just that, slow down right there, and you you get in front of the guy, and you just slow down. So the guys, guys can make that play that don't think. He thought, and he didn't make that play. And I'm just telling you, that's the difference between okay and really good. And there are a lot of really good football players that, whether it's a receiver, or a tight end, or whoever it may be, a running back, if they're in that position, they're going to freaking lay a helmet right in somebody's chest, you know. And Akins is going to go ahead and score. It didn't happen. And the, again, the Texans aren't good enough or deep enough or sound enough to overcome, you know, okay plays or plays that should have been made or mistakes, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, just, I point, and I point all this stuff out and me and Sean are pointing this out because it, you know, it, it all adds up. I mean, it's yeah. not just that Davis Mills isn't good. You can, you can win these games if, Davis Mills is just okay, and some other guys make a play here and there. Yeah, but you have a whole bunch of other guys that are just okay, you know, or that they're not very good, and they're in position in which you would expect a very good player to make them. Well, they're not a very good player. That uh, Damian Pierce fumble, I I thought that was one of those situations where we've seen the patience that Damian Pierce is able to run with. It looked like he was just waiting for a block to set. 
either he was going to cut back inside or cut out, and that never even happened because I don't know whose guy that was. It might have been Questenberry's guy again, Lawrence uh, coming over and just poking that ball out from behind. I mean, there's not much you can do there because that was so bang, bang. I mean, the pressure was coming, but we know at this point in time, you know, and Pierce knows, I mean, he just put his hands on his helmet at that point in time when the ball was being returned, like he knew he'd screwed up. Uh, He knew that he couldn't put the ball on the ground at that point in time when the Texans are in the red zone, as hard as it is to get to that point in this offense, but miraculously they were there five times today, Robert, five times. And they scored one touchdown. And let me just point out on Damian Pierce, love the guy, of course, but there were times in this game when they were near the goal line where Pierce was thinking too much. And instead of just running straight ahead, when he got near the goal line where the guys up front had blocked it and Pierce is like dancing a little bit too much in the backfield. I thought a couple different times, you know, and the other part about it is it was just straight on head up blocking. I, I, Watch Damian Pierce. I watch this offensive line. They're better when they move them. They get them outside their zone blocking. I don't like the straight head up blocking for both Pierce, and I don't like it for the O-line. No, look at that. I think it was probably the longest run that um, Damian Pierce had today. It was one that kind of opened up in a seam up the middle. Um, They pulled Laramie Tunsil and Kenyon Green. And I think I made note of this last week with you when we did the show or uh, a couple of weeks ago that, hey, where's where's that action been? Because the Texans showed that quite a bit in the preseason, and particularly when they decided to start playing Kenyon Green after he'd come back from his concussion. Boy, that's the one thing that we all really noticed. Man, this guy's got as big as he is, you know, and as mushy as he is right now. And he'll he'll beef up a little bit. Kenyon Green will. But well, he's got some pretty good lateral movement and can get upfield, and that's what he excels at is run blocking. So get him out into some space, and you know let's let's move him around. That's what happened today, and the Texans saw some success with it. You know, you've got to have the confidence, the comfortability to be able to continuously put those guys in position to help your offense. And one, give Damian Pierce an opportunity to you know, not have to break five or six tackles to get, you know, extra yardage. Give him some space because he is a patient and smart enough runner to where he's going to let that play develop and open up. We just talked about David Quesenberry, Sean. David Quesenberry is not going to overpower anybody. Getting that guy on the move is a huge benefit for you in in any game, especially this game. But let's go to the Texans D because they force a three and out. They don't quit. Good drive by Davis Mills. But then Cooks called for an illegal shift. Kenyon Green called for a holding on a Cooks touchdown. (sighs) Kenyon Green did not have a good fourth quarter at all. Uh, So fourth quarter, Davis Mills then shows up right there with a terrible throw into double coverage interception. He's got to understand. I mean, again, it's just basic football IQ. Just take the take the incompletion and get a field goal. You're right there. You're you're in this again. You're right there. Throw it away. I mean, yeah, you, you had the opportunity to make such a deep throw to begin with in double coverage. I mean, you understand the situation. Throw it away. Um, it could have been one of those things, you know. And again, you know, some quarterbacks will see it. 
Some quarterbacks just won't. Um, they're thinking about getting hit. He's probably one of those that is thinking about getting a hit. Let me just get this ball off. And maybe he didn't see that safety coming over, you know, but should have. He was in the picture. I mean, Dorsett was pretty much double covered for about the last 10 yards of that route. So he should have seen it. Um, but you have to throw that football away. And that's kind of the point that I made earlier. It's like, you know, there's quarterbacks that are going to understand when and when not to make certain throws. And as beautiful as a throw that was to uh, Nico Collins earlier in the game, it was just a horrible decision. Again, and we've seen we've seen them uh, really over the course of the last three, now four weeks, where Mills has really struggled with taking care of the football. This is now the third, fourth, fifth interception over the course of the last four weeks, and I think the fourth straight week that he's thrown an interception in a football game. You could excuse some of the ones earlier in the season away. Okay, you know, the batted balls, the two-in-one game, I think that was like week two or week three. Um, But, I mean, come on, man. Uh, You know, let's not go all Brock Osweiler on, on everybody now. Like, every interception has a story crap. No, every interception doesn't need a story the ball just simply doesn't need to be fit into such a tight window. You've got to be able to understand when and when not to throw the football and what the situation is when you cannot stand to take a sack, when you cannot stand to try to make an irresponsible throw. The Texans don't quit. And I'll give Lovey's team credit here because the defense gets them the ball back. Mills gets them to field goal range. It actually could have been a touchdown because there was a pass interference in the end zone. But O.J. Howard, not a good game for him because I picked two big plays. He gets called for a holding penalty. Penalties offset. They've had, they would have had first down at the one-yard line. So the Texans kept imploding after the Fairbairn field goal. The special teams somehow with two penalties on an onside kick that Sean, I don't even think it was necessary. They had two timeouts and the two-minute warning. It's it's a Hail Mary when you're doing an onside kick, and I get it. They hadn't stopped the Giants much all day, but they had stopped them at times in this game on three and outs. And give your – how about just give it a shot? Give it a shot. you got a much better shot at doing that than you do that onside kick, in my opinion. It's an interesting situation, right? And in that particular moment, I think, you know, the call from Lovey Smith was, well, let's just roll the dice and see what happens, right? You know, Frank, you feel good about it? Yeah, I feel good about it. We can do it. Okay, fine. Let's go. If you're going to roll the dice in that particular situation, I think I almost would have much rather seen him roll the dice on the fourth and eight instead of kick a damn field goal. Like, let's go try to get a first down because even if you miss it, you still have two timeouts and the two-minute warning. And you're pinning them deep in their own territory. But you're down two scores there, Sean. You're down two scores. Guess what? You still need to get an onside kick. If you decided to do it in that instance or not, you still needed something else to go right for you. My point is, is it made perfect football sense to go ahead, kick that field goal. You're, you're down eight in that situation. You're, you're in the most favorable um, situation in which you still need something to go right if, in fact, you choose to gamble there. And they did with the onside kick. They very well could have for the second straight defensive drive held the Giants, but obviously they weren't comfortable with that. Um, and they said, hey, we're just going to roll the dice and see what happens. And I, I just thought that if it was a gun to my head, I'm still taking my chance on the defense because the Giants, to be quite honest with you, like, yeah, they were really good at running the football. And, yeah, Dan Jones is really good making plays with his legs. 
whether it be out of an obvious passing situation or, you know, a play action, a short run, like they still didn't impose their will on you really today at all, I felt like. They left a lot to be desired as an offense, really as they have all season long. And miraculously, they wind up 7-2. and two. But I just thought that the Texans should have just went ahead and kicked it off and tried to get that defensive stop on their side of the 50, um, much less than taking their chances on theirs. All right, Pep angers me in so many different ways, but I, this Cheers, one was yeah. just absolutely ridiculous. The Texans go down the field at the end of the game. There is like 40 seconds left to go on the clock. And they're in field goal range. So, like, once you get into field goal range, you don't have timeouts. I have no issue with quickly bringing the field goal team out there. But when you make the long first down to get you there, it's this is really simple. This is like third grade stuff. This is, I mean, Sean, your two-year-old could figure this out. Davis Mills, throw the ball into the ground once and then bring the field goal team, not rush them out on the field. And I get it. There's a... A, a chance in a gazillion that you still get the onside kick and some Hail Mary crazy touchdown, but we've seen crazier things happen, but just giving yourself a chance. And it's not about this particular game. It's about the IQ of this offensive coordinator, the IQ of this quarterback, the IQ of this entire team. Say it, say it, the head coach, too, because everything goes through Lovey Smith's headset. He gives the okay to everything. He said that numerous times this year. He makes the call. He makes the final decision. So it's on him, too. I mean, you know, if we're going to give this guy credit enough for, you know, being around the NFL for 20-some-odd, nearly 30 years, you know, in various roles, like, then he should know better. And if you're really trying to teach your team how to finish games, then play to the final whistle. Like, you go for broke. You did on the damn onside kick moments prior to that, and it didn't work out. So, you know, let's see what you got. You know, keep firing, keep firing. And at this point in time, it's the smoke and mirrors. They're firing blanks. And, you know, they're going to tell us that, hey, uh, you know, we can't have missed tackles. We can't have turnovers. No, you're right. You can't. But you also can't make such egregious um, coaching mistakes as well. And it's not like I'm expecting them to not, def you know, not admit their own mistakes. However, you have to you have to speak of it as like all encompassing because you can't talk one day out of one side of your mouth and say, hey, we're trying to teach these guys you know, what it is to play in the NFL and how to win football games and create this culture. Well, there's a lot of problems with that because when I ask you specifically, what is the culture of this football team? And you tell me that we're beyond that. You can't, there is no culture of this football team. We're just trying to, um, you know, finish games. That's, that's what, 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 what kind of non-answer garbage is that? And that's exactly what I got this week. So like, you know, I, I've grown frustrated with what sort of message they've conveyed to the media and to the public and to the fans, you know, with this, we got to finish crap. But then when you, you know, answer every question as if it is a loaded one and refuse to give a real answer about nothing that is malicious at all, but quite simply just about the culture that you clearly were brought into repair and you can't answer that question. That's what bothers me, and I think that's going to 
wear itself real thin very quickly. I like Lovey, but at this point, I wouldn't be opposed to bringing somebody else in. And I don't know if anybody else. You're going to bring in. You're not going to bring anybody in. They're just going to let this continue to like smolder and be the dumpster fire that it is. Like if you fired Lovey, who's taking over? Pep? No, 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 no. I'm talking about at the end of the season because here's the deal. Okay. Let me just lay it out for you, Sean. You can say whatever you want to say about Casario. Do I believe that that whole coaching disaster and the way Lovey was hired at the end of last year or the end or the beginning of this calendar year, I should say, do I believe that was all Casario? Do I believe Jack Easterby didn't have his fingerprints all into what was going on with that circus? Jack Easterby is now gone. This is Casario's team. Casario is a lot of things, but he is not somebody that likes losing. He is a hate to lose guy. He works his butt off. I don't think Lovey is necessarily his guy. I felt like that guy was somebody that was a Cal McNair guy, maybe a Jack Easterby guy. So could you get out of the Lovey thing and go, okay, yeah, it's the third coach you're getting rid of in three years, but Casario can just, you know, slough it off as, hey, a couple of those guys were not me. It wasn't me that hired those guys. And, you know, Cully was obviously a, a hire to be fired guy anyway. But when you look at uh, that situation, you could you could get out of it. As somebody pointed out to me on Twitter this week, you could potentially get out of it by saying, all right, Levy, we're going to move you up into a Romeo Cronell consulting position. So it doesn't look like you're getting rid of this guy after a year. You just say, hey, we're going to move you up into, you know, this another position within the organization that's a high position and bring somebody else in. And, you know, if you're asking me who I would like to bring in in my dream scenario, the guy that I want, and I don't know what the relationship is with him and the Texans at this point, but it's D'Amico Ryans, who's somebody that has been here. The fans respect, the fans love. He's an incredible leader. He brings in gravitas with him already. He's somebody, unlike the last two hires, that's looked on as a future star in the NFL and somebody that can really do something. So that's my guy right now if I'm going to do it. And I think you could get out of this gracefully if you're smart. And we'll see how smart Casario is. And, you know, if he wants to stick with Lovey, though, Pep Hamilton's got to go, obviously. I don't hate that. I don't hate any of what you just laid out. And I agree with both of those scenarios being really likely to happen in regards of moving on from Lovey Smith, taking uh, an advisory role on, consulting role, whatever you want to call it, um, or just outright moving on from them, um, which I would kind of be in favor of because, you know, you're, you still have a guy in the building who to some degree is influencing others in that building. And not to say that Lovey is a poor influence, but um, because he's highly respected and the players do like playing for him. Um, Laramie Tunsil spoke very highly of him, um, you know, and has all season long. Um, so I, I, I think I think what is likely, what will happen, forget likely, what will happen is the Texans, however they finish this season, doesn't really matter. It's going to end up becoming a top pick anyway, whether you win one to four games. And I'd be surprised if it was closer to four than just two. But at this point in time, they'll move on from him. And Casario won't even have to explain it. 
Like he's spoken twice since the football season started in 2022 and not even after the trade deadline. Um, the next time you hear from Nick Casario is probably going to be at the end of the season. I think he's only obligated to speak to the media twice, according to pro football writers. Um, so, I mean, I'm waiting until week 18 or 19 finishes, whatever the case is, before we hear from him again. He's not going to have to really do any excusing because what the Texans do, how they operate is they just – you can talk about – talk but amongst you, yourselves. But, but Sean, you know how it would look if you go ahead and fire – your third African-American coach in three seasons. And I know Romeo didn't start the year, but this is about the look in the NFL. If those guys only get a year to prove themselves on a team that is totally devoid of. They're also one of the few organizations, maybe I don't know. I have to say few could be the only one. How many organizations have had three black head coaches? Yeah, I, I, I'm I just know. telling you I mean, what the I mean, what the monologue would be nationally. What the monologue would be is the tech. Look, they they, don't care. they 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 gave them a chance, but th- this is not a real chance. This is not a real chance. They don't care, Robert. I mean, uh, you could be right, but you know, you're not going to fix anything with words at this point anyway. You're going to fix it with action. You're going to fix it with winning, and it. You know, going forward, it really kind of doesn't matter who you do it with. You just have to win, to be quite honest with you, because they already be they'd have already been the laughing stock, and that's still not over. You know, thanks Bill O'Brien, thanks Jack Easterby, thanks Cal McNair. But I mean, they did end up caring last year because if they didn't, we know good and well McCown would be the head coach right now. So somebody in that building cares about their public perception, and somebody cared enough to finally get Jack Easterby out of the building. There are well, perception things with this it, team that they public? actually care about right now. I don't know. I mean, and I'm just speculating here because I don't know one way or the other, but um, was it more public perception in why you don't go hire Josh McCown? Or was it finally, was that maybe the impetus for Nick Casario being able to eat closer and closer to being able to stand up on the table and have Cal McNair listen to him rather than Jack Easterby? You know, something obviously happened uh, to cause a a chasm between Jack Easterby and Cal McNair, who were like this. And to have that parting of the ways, they called it a mutual parting of ways. It wasn't mutual. Something happened. Something was said. It was um, built up over time. One of those occurrences happened where Cal was comfortable enough with letting Nick move on without Easterby in the building. This is something that we probably won't ever have the answer to, but I will just say this, going back to the McCown thing, is it public perception or was it more or less the NFL saying, hey, here's this situation with Brian Flores. One, you guys are more than welcome to do what you will with you know McCown and making him your head coach. However, you're already seeing a bleep storm right now. So do you really want to do that? Or would you like to go this direction? Somebody And that's the that. same thing the NFL is going to tell them if they decide that they're going to fire Levy Smith. If they start hearing those rumors, it's the same thing. So. And Cal McNair is Why? not a strong backbone guy. If the NFL tells no, him not. something, he's going to back down. We know Cal McNair by now.
Yeah, but why would the NFL say anything? I mean, just look at the Rooney rule and how goofy and cockamamie it is to begin with. The fact that you even have a rule where you have to interview at least one or two minorities before you make a coaching hire, that exists. The Texans are going to be able to stand on a stool that nobody else in the NFL could stand on and say that, hey, we've gone through three African-American head coaches in our organization's history. Three martyrs. Three martyrs. And that's fine. It's still three. Um, you know, it's potato, potato at this point in time, because it, it, to me, you can't argue that point against something so silly as having a Rooney rule in place anyway. You know, you already don't trust your people to make the best decision for uh, the people in the building. So the Texans can say that, hey, look, we've given three guys a shot and not just a shot. Hell, Romeo Cornell was here for how many years as a defensive coordinator and in an advisory role? Lovey Smith was here as a defensive coordinator, and we made him a head coach. David Culley was somebody that, you know, we were forced into but highly respected around the entire league, you know, for 20, 30 years, whatever it is. Like, we've been there, done that. Now we're going to go get our guy and hire the best possible person for it. If it's D'Amico, great. If it's, you know, Whoever. Well, that's and that's why I say D'Amico is like your better option because you're sticking with another African American coach. That's anyway. I but I, I, I'm going to try to end with a good note because uh, I know people are like probably ready to go. They they <laughs> they've got to be close to ready to go on the Texans. But it's more interesting I do, than talking about the game. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, well, I, I it's not the it's the game, but it's just I'm trying to end on a good note. Christian Harris. Was that a, is that a good note to end on? Isn't he a good note? Nine tackles, four solo. Yeah. Is he, is he showing you anything? Yeah. Uh, you know, I asked Lovey Smith earlier this week, you know, he's played three games. This will be his fourth, you know, since assuming this starting role with the absence of comic Bruce Hill. Um, what are you expecting to see out of him? Like, what is he supposed to be getting better at at this point in time? based on your experience as a teacher. And I couldn't get an answer out of him. Um, what I was hoping he would say was some things that I thought I'd saw today was better fits, better tackling, and just a better nose for run or pass, you know, being comfortable in the space that he's playing, not being so, I guess, caught off guard looking. Right. And so I, I thought I'd saw that from Christian Harris today. Um, I'm just going I'm all about Christian Harris. Like, I think if it takes, you know, two years, I think it's very possible we're talking about that guy. And I know it seems like a very long ways away now because the defense is the weakest point on this team. Um, but I think we could be talking about Christian Harris as probably the biggest success story coming from the 2022 draft. I think he could be that impactful in a good, better coached and more talent rich defense. Damian Pierce is good and he will be very good for a long time if he stays healthy. But Christian Harris, I think, could be a freaking disruptor. And people are going to be saying his name a lot on Sundays. Um, I think if he's able to stay healthy going forward. Yeah. Christian Harris showed me something. At least he was tackling guys and he's a linebacker and that's good to see. And I was happy about that. And you just want to see some progress from somebody like Christian Harris. And, you know, with every single week, I've seen him get a little bit better and that's great. Like Jalen Petrie 
it's a why well, I talked about him in this game is he he's slipping a little bit as the year goes along. Where Christian Harris, you know, we're seeing the progress week in and week out. You know, it's like we saw with Damian Pierce from the beginning of the season, and as he got more playing time and as he got more chances, we saw the progress with him. Uh, yeah. Kenyon Green, it's been up and down. It's been up and down a little bit with him, but that's a for an offensive lineman. It can be up and down. I mean, that's that's the way it's going to be, and you're going to face tougher guys one week than you do the next week, and so on and so forth. But well, you know, know his mentor uh, Laramie Tunsil, you know, has drawn a couple of flags in consecutive weeks. You know, I mean, um, the the best of the best are going to make mistakes, and you know, the best of the newest are going to make mistakes as well. You know, Kenyon Green's going to experience some growing pains, and I think Jalen Petrie, and even Derek Stingley. You know, early on this season, Stingley was. Um, you know, getting picked on a little bit. They wanted to see what the rookie had, and he'd given up a lot of catches, a lot of yards and stuff like that. And, you know, it's kind of seemingly, you know, settled down, become a better tackler, become a better fit in the run game. Um, but, you know, look, he's going to get stronger. Petrie's going to get stronger going forward. But, I mean, heck, Robert, you know, they're 1-7-1 and one now. You're nine games in. You've got eight games this regular season remaining. I don't know who's on the schedule. I'd have to go look in terms of, like, what they're doing through the air and the success that their quarterbacks are having against secondaries. But I would not be surprised at all for us to be talking about, like, oof, you know, man, look at Stingley. Oof, man, Petrie, you know, what's going on with him? You could – dumb it down and generalize it and call it a rookie wall. They're going to be picked on. They're going to make mistakes. But are they going to be learning from those mistakes? Petrie was pissed when he came out of the game today after uh, whiffing on that tackle and having Slayton go 54 yards. That was embarrassing for him. That was maddening for him. And I think it was probably just as much about like, hey, holding him out, letting him regain composure before sending him back out on the football field and, you know, compounding that mistake with another one. Um, so I think he's smart enough. I think the Texans and Lovey Smith, you know, trust him enough to, um, continue to work hard and improve. And I think the same thing for Derek Stingley, which to be quite honest with you, I feel like we've already seen, you know, a pretty good, um, um, uh, uh, jump in progress from him, from his early season struggles, whether it be in this coverage or just particularly missing tackles himself, um, which I feel like he's gotten really good at, but he'll get better at because both of these guys are going to put on muscle. They're going to get stronger too. The secondary upcoming has Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott. Uh, They got some quarterbacks coming up that they're going to be facing. So we'll see how they're looking after all of that. Me and Sean will be back in the middle of the week to do our regular show. Subscribe if you have not done it to this point. Um, We do a show every single week along with the post game through the Texans season. And I will have my regular Rockets guest, Frank from HTX Chop Shop. We'll do, we'll talk fantasy and everything going around the going on around the NFL with Andy Rio uh, in the middle of this week as well. So keep an eye out for all of that going on. We're going to also talk about the Astros. We haven't forgot about them. There's some good stories in the last few days that me and Sean have to get into. I am chopping at the bit to get into some stuff that's been going on with the Astros over the last few days, like a certain general manager. But uh, anyway, we will catch up with everybody real soon. Again, uh, thanks for coming on with us. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think, how you feel about us, and how you feel about the show and what what some of our opinions are. Um, Love to hear from everybody out there. Until next time, until next Texans game for sure, uh, we'll see you guys later. 
You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, you can support the show by subscribing on YouTube and commenting on the videos. Listen to Houston Sports Talk on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and Google. Don't forget to tell a friend and share our show on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.